Welcome, Phoenix fans, to episode 22 of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leonard. I'll be doing the color commentary for AUDL-TV. I'll be doing the color commentary for the Philadelphia Phoenix on AUDL.TV. I'm joined by my regular partner in crime, Alexander Shaggy Shregus. Shaggy, how you doing today, buddy? I'm great. I moved down to the basement of the house that I'm in so that my uh, partner could take a nap. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so your partner can take a nap. I mean, but I mean, are you are you in the basement because you've been banished? No, no, no. I, normally, I do these in my bedroom under the blankets, right? But this time, uh, my partner is taking a nap in my room. Well, I guess in our room. So uh, I took a couple blankets and I wrapped them around my head and moved down to the basement. So you still have to have the blanket wrapped around your head, even though you're not in the same room. Well, the thing is that if the blanket's not wrapped around my oh, that's why you think I'm wrapping the blanket over my head. No, it's to make the sound sound better, so it's not so echoey. <laughs> but I understand. You're saying I'm ugly. I get it. I get no, it. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all, Daggy. <laughs> You're a fine-looking human being, I'm sure. I know. <laughs> uh, people often call me the best-looking co-host of The Burning Bird. So. Oh, Harvest is going to be very <laughs> upset to hear that. Well, Harvest needs to get himself a new barber. <laughs> this is this is absolutely true. <laughs> so, so how are you? How are you still handling the quarantine, Shag? You still hanging in there? Yeah, um, I, I actually uh, I got put back on payroll, and then also I picked up a different full-time job. So now I'm getting double paid. I feel unstoppable. Speaking of unstoppable, we are joined on the Burning Bird this particular week by. Second-year Phoenix D-line player, Greg Moeller. Greg, thank you for joining us on The Burning Bird. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. All right, Greg, now you were on the uh, practice squad last year before you got called up to, for some uh, big games for the Phoenix in your rookie season. Uh, can you talk about what it was like being on that practice squad and for a lot of people that don't know what it's like? Yeah, sure. Um so last year we had a much bigger squad overall uh, to begin the season than we do this year. So I think we had in the ballpark of 50 or 60 people uh, in our group me who were, you know, it was a combination of the the official roster plus all the practice squad members. And so I was one of those practice squad members. Um, and I think if you were to actually boil it down to the number of people who were coming to each practice, I'd say there's maybe 40, 45 individuals. And um, just due to conflicts with club tournaments last year, um, people who kind of fizzled out as the season went on, uh, a number of people actually got bumped up from the practice squad to the, uh, to the game day roster at some point throughout the season. I think one of the kind of the drawbacks from it, though, was just uh, a lack of camaraderie because any given practice you have, you know, call it 30 people out of 45. So it wasn't quite as easy as it could have been to build chemistry uh, and things of that nature. So you like these smaller numbers? Uh, I think it's a give and a take. It, it, it's kind of hard to really say just because we've been, um, you know, with, with COVID and all that, it, we haven't been practicing much as of late. Um, so it's hard to say the exact effects that a smaller squad would have. Um, I think at the beginning of the season, we knew it was going to take a lot more commitment out of, uh, you know, everyone one through 30 or 35, um, to really show up and, and not only um, be present at practice, but be present mentally, be dialed in. Um, so we really got the most out of our practices. 
I'm excited to see kind of how it turns out once we get back on the field. Um, I'm hopeful that it'll just really add to camaraderie and chemistry, and that'll outweigh any sort of negative effects um, that we would have seen from just smaller numbers in general. Yeah, well, how, how do you think those smaller numbers equal the camaraderie and help build chemistry? So, I mean, I think, for one, the Phoenix has, has always kind of had a, a mantra of um, practicing as O-line and D-line units. It's it's pretty rare that we just count off randomly and be assigned to a team um, as opposed to being designated as O-line or D-line uh, individual for that practice. Um, and so I think with smaller numbers, you get to get uh, plenty of reps with not only just the O-line, but the actual individuals you would be playing with in a game. So, you know, in that regard, I think it's, it's much better. You, you get to get a better feel for people, read for people in terms of what they want to do, uh, throws they would or would not take. So overall, I think it helps that way. On a practice squad that big, did you have to do extra stuff to stand out, to get yourself noticed, to get called up to the bigger squad? Last year, um, I think it was really just about showing commitment to the team. I personally was at every single practice uh, I could make, um, worked around any work schedules or other conflicts to make sure I could be there, really gave it my all every time I was out there on the field. Took not only, you know, game opportunities that eventually came my way, but but even practice opportunities um, as a real privilege to actually get to play with, you know, elite Philadelphia players. Um, and I think the combination of commitment and, and honoring that, that privilege um, are what did it for me. Speaking of privileges, were you one of the players that got to go to the lake last year? Yes. Uh, I was not playing, but I was filming on the side. I did get to uh, see, you know, that halftime show in addition to the, the Eagles um, right at field level, which was sweet. Incredible experience. What was the best part of that experience for you being down there? I don't know if I was supposed to do this, but I think it ended up <laughs> uh, a net positive for our, our social media team. I snuck out onto the field when they were introducing uh, each of the teams, the Roughnecks and the Phoenix. Um, and so I was actually the one taking the uh, grass level shot of all the players running out onto the field um, and, you know, starting the game. Um, so that was really, really fun and really, really cool. Um, definitely a highlight from my end. What was your first ultimate experience? When did you first start playing ultimate? So I first started playing ultimate in high school. Um, that, was I actually, first, that was your first time? That that was my first time. I think I might have done a summer camp here or there, maybe in like um, uh, the in-between of eighth grade and, and ninth grade. But it was really the spring of freshman year of high school that I um, started to really get involved. Um, I actually, funny funny story, I went out for crew, uh, my, my slender 90-pound body in, <laughs> in ninth grade, went out for crew, and uh, there was actually someone, I was supposed to be the coxswain uh, of the boat, and there was someone who was five pounds lighter than me, so naturally they gave him the coxswain spot and then me a, a spot uh, as a rower, which was ill-deserved to say the least um, and I think the misery of that experience is what immediately drove me to find another sport uh, luckily I stumbled upon ultimate and, and fell in love the rest now, is history now you, you you went to Radnor High and uh, not many people know this but I, I was your first coach then if that was the case at Radnor High I mean how did you survive that experience oh god uh, bless <laughs> me for getting through it uh, yeah don't no. get it. Don't get it. <laughs> it, it was incredible. I mean, um, I think between you and, and Nacho and, um, 
even even the player leadership, like I was I was there when Trent Dillon was there leading the squad. I had a phenomenal time. I felt like um, like most players do, you know, you kind of you, you start out and, and it might be a bit of a rocky start. You might not really find your place right away. Um, but I think over the years of high school, I definitely eventually <laughs> found my role on the team. And um, um, I think just working with yourself and with Nacho over the years built a lot of chemistry, made it a lot easier to, to work together and to uh, foster a much better team. So, no, definitely no bad feelings for my end. I, I had a great <laughs> four years. So Even though you started on the practice squad, you ended up in some pretty big games for the Phoenix last year. Which one was your most uh, fun to be a part of? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's got to be – it was actually my first game, and it was against New York at New York. Um, and I was matching up with – so I was actually playing O-line. I, I, I was mainly playing O-line as an O-line cutter last year. And uh, that experience where I think Bo Kittredge was, was frequently matching up against me was just uh, – it was crazy because these are players <laughs> at that level who I had never played with or played against rarely even seen in person it's these are the kinds of people you just watch on on streams and tv as you know the de facto elite uh club players and, and the best out there in ultimate frisbee and you're matching up against them um so that was incredibly exciting uh unbelievable experience that i'll never forget um but that, that's got to be it there were there were so many great games though i think i i was actually a, a player for seven um, and they were all just tremendous experiences. You you went to the University of Delaware as well. Were you on the sideshow team that upset Pitt? I was, yes. It was a, a fall tournament. I think I was a sophomore at the time, and we took down Pitt. Uh, I want to say it was in the in the ballpark of like thirteen eleven, and there was nothing more satisfying than seeing them run sprints and do push ups because of how many points they had lost by after we beat them. Um, that, that was a fun time. So let's let's uh, talk about the AUDL a little bit here. Uh, do you uh, think there's going to be a season? Um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful we'll have something. I think the latest is that we're still working out exactly what it'll look like. But I think on one end of the spectrum, we actually fit in a mini season, and that's if we can get back out there within, um, you know, with, with only call it a uh, a couple months delay to the start of the season. Um, I think more realistically, though, we'll see something like maybe um, a tournament over the course of a weekend or a couple weekends, um, you know, maybe call it late August, maybe even early September. Um, I think another factor, though, that will play into it is what USAU decides to do with the club season. I know that um, really across the board on a lot of these ADL teams, there's also a lot of conflicts with elite-level club teams. And so I would hope that the AUDL and USAU would work together to create an outcome that's beneficial for both organizations. I wouldn't hold my breath for that there. Yeah, I'm not either, but a kitchen <laughs> dream, right? All right, so let's say that the AUDL goes full for a conflict with the, with the club season. Do you think that helps the Phoenix or hurts the Phoenix? The Phoenix specifically, uh, I don't think there'd be a ton of impact. Um, and I think that's, uh, largely in part because of um, the, the the roster decisions that were made this year, where I think, you know, th there's always kind of been this informal partnership between Patrol, Philly's uh, elite, elite club team, and, and the Phoenix. I think this year it was kind of made more clear that if you're playing Phoenix, you're it's expected that Phoenix is a priority for you. Um, and, and especially, you know, 
you know, if, if there are uh, choices you have to make around whether you're going to go to a club tournament or um, or a Phoenix game, I, I think there's even if it's not the law and, and written um, down in our in our player handbook, I think it's expected that if you're on the roster, you're, you're going to the Phoenix games. Um, and so I, I don't think there would be as much of an impact for us. I don't think we would lose as many players uh, on our Phoenix roster to patrol tournaments as we might have last year. Have you seen a difference in that commitment level there, Greg, as, as far as uh, last year to this year? Yeah, I mean, um, you kind of you kind of hear it through the grapevine a bit. Um, I, I think, for one, you can look at players who have decided not to come back and play Phoenix or have taken a, pr- a practice player role, um, you know, people like Billy Sickles, people like Nick Patel. Um, these were starters for us last year in Phoenix, and um, they've made it clear that, you know, allegiance is with patrol, um, and that, that that's just how they're going to, you know, play their cards. And, and, you know, you have other folks who are kind of on the flip side of that. Um, names that jump to mind are Mark Sands, you know, Bryce is – maybe a, 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 a more clear dedication to the Phoenix where Phoenix games are going to come first. And if club tournaments work out in between, so be it. How do you think the Phoenix would do in a weekend tourney with other AUDL teams? That's a, that's a great question um, because we never really get to see the stamina of a team, you know, besides uh, doubleheader weekends. And, and I can't even imagine playing four back-to-back games at, at the pro level. Um just because, you know, it's such a bigger field and um, you're really, it's really taxing. People think it's just one game. You can just grind it out. It's still a lot to grind out one game, um, especially if you throw inclement weather into the mix um, or, you know, a, a small roster that specific day. Um, so I think it would be a blast, first of all, but I, I think it would be, uh, it would really call on and, and really test this, mantra that I think uh, Hampson has been pushing for, which is we're, you know, this tight-knit group. We only have 30, 35 guys. We fight for each other. Um, we have each other's backs, and there's no shame in, in playing any one of those 30 players. Hampson has a squad that he's proud of and, you know, would go to battle with. So I don't think there'd be any reservations about um, our confidence level. Uh Depending on who we play, I think things could could fare in different ways. You know, you talk about a tournament where you probably won't have more than four games uh, in a day. I don't even know what they would do with that. I mean, my gut instinct is there would be, you know, there's six teams in our division. They would have, you know, maybe three games Saturday, three games Sunday. Um, and, you know, depending on if we have a pretty stacked Saturday, uh it could be challenging. It could be really challenging to get through the weekend, but um, I think it would be fun nonetheless. I would, I would love to be a part of it. team seems to have told you off last year to be become more aggressive. Is that something that you've been working on this the particular off season? Yeah, and it's it's always interesting because uh, I think of the off season again from, from pro. Of, to, to me, the off season is really club, even though they're so, you know, back-to-back and really even overlapping. Um, And in club, you know, it's obviously self-ref for the most part, so you're calling your own fouls. Um, You're not really going to get away with maybe some cheeky, gritty, uh, call it uh, physical man defense, um, where you might in ADL. And so it's it's always 
um, a balancing act to, to practice and get better at being really physical and um, aggressive in clubs um, while not taking it too far. Uh, with that being said, uh, I think we've already seen in practices, the practices we did have this year, that um, people, are, people are not being shy. Uh, people are getting into it at practice, which is what you love to see. Um, that aggression is certainly there. Um, I'm excited to see it, uh, you know, play out against an actual opponent instead of ourselves. But on top of being told to be more aggressive, th there's a roster that the game day roster that needs to be made, uh, you know, and it's 20 people out of the 35. You're, yeah. it's still, you still have this kind of tryout vibe associated with practices where um, you want to show that you're going to put it all out on the line, um, that you're not going to hold back. So I think that in addition to being told that we're going to be, a, a, you know, a gritty and, aggressive team it brings out some tension how many years did steve coach you so steve coached me officially i think on the jv team for two two and a half years and then i thought, I thought it was shorter than that i thought you were on there for two years <laughs> oh maybe it was one and a half then yeah yeah um, yeah maybe it was two uh but but in either case uh, even after i moved up from jv to varsity steve was always um you know nachos right-hand man um, at, at tournaments and, and practices. So, uh, you know, I absolutely consider Steve a, a four-year coach. Yeah. How did you graduate from a Steve Weiner program and yet you're still so, like, kind and respectful on the field? I feel like the top <laughs> of you I was going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> so there, there is one play I need to share that was – I mean, maybe people know about it. I, I had never heard about it when I was a young and in high school, but uh, it was the ball and chain. Uh, which I think got some flack from some people on the team. People didn't really understand it. Um, in hindsight, I freaking love the idea. I wish that we actually utilized it more. But th the concept was you have someone make a, a pretty crappy in-cut um, calling for the disc, and then when they don't get it because they're clearly covered because they're jogging an in-cut, they start, you know, cursing or, or yelling like, come on, man, you got to hit me there. And then they kind of wind their cut and take off deep. Meanwhile, someone's making a real end cut to get the disc and huck it. And that, if we had just latched on to that concept in high school, I think we would have been a terror of a team. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we, we won the city championship uh, with your brother. My last game was uh, we ended up being city champs. So the, the, the acorn doesn't fall far from the molar tree. <laughs> I got one more question for you. I mean, I just want to make sure you're handling the quarantine okay and that you're doing, making sure you're keeping up with the Phoenix workouts. In terms of working out and keeping fit, so we actually have two different programs going on um, within the Phoenix. There's, uh, I believe it was a combination of Hemi and Ian put together an actual workout routine. Um, and then Matt Ballman has been leading the, the weekly challenges for the team. So I've personally been kind of just doing my own routine, um, doing sprints, getting out with Boyle when we can. But the weekly challenges have been fun too. It's kind of been a roller coaster, but it's great to have something where we can motivate ourselves to, to actually compete against each other. And um, it's really a win-win at the end of the day, right? Like even if you lose, uh, your team is that much better. Those have been a blast. I want to circle back to this ball and chain play. Do you have any other uh, <laughs> trick plays that you've developed over the years of playing frisbee? Uh, me personally, oh, uh, I don't know how many how many of my cards I should show right now. Um, <laughs> I, 
I, I'll share this because it's actually something I talked to Hanson about, um, that it's, it's become one of my favorite cuts. And I think it was actually highlighted recently on the Phoenix's social media. The, the front of the stack cutting up line move is something that I feel is not always expected. Um, and if you can get your defender to kind of turn on their heels just for a moment, it's really easy to attack and, and get past them and gain yards, set yourself up for a nice power position. Um, and so I use that a lot over the club season and then also in uh, some leagues that I've been playing as well. I feel like, I mean, I've only ever uh, really met you through league play in Pata. And, and I feel like you're a very nice and respectful person. And on the field, I kind of wish you were like 30% meaner and less respectful, but whatever. <laughs> I'm working on it. Uh, do you have anything really good about Steve from when you were in high school? Oh, you know what? <laughs> so, you know, as high schoolers, where a lot of us, you know, this is our first time playing the sport. Um, we, we weren't really playing leagues or club or anything like that. Um, we didn't really know any cheers. Right. Like there, there was nothing we could really do except for what we had, you know, the hand me down cheers from from people that were older than us. But um, on the JV team, I don't think we were very creatively minded. <laughs> we, we didn't we weren't good at creating any cheers ourselves. And so Steve would come in with these known cheers that are used by a lot of teams and very popular to get people riled up. And um, the first time that he that he shared the huck, bid, pillage, and burn cheer. It ends with eat the babies. We all kind of looked at each other in the circle, and we, we were like, what's going on? What is this guy talking about? And over the course of – it only took like two weeks. We were all screaming at the top of our lungs. That was our favorite thing in the whole world. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, can't, be, I can't believe they let me have influence over high school kids for that long period of time. What's the one – one one time uh, one time I'm sitting there coaching Radner and things were not going well and uh my I had a, I had a, I had a clipboard that I that I I kept all my paperwork on and uh, things weren't going well and I called time out and everybody got in a circle and I threw the clipboard down but the ground was soft and muddy and the for whatever reason the edge of the clipboard the clipboard stuck into the ground like a sword would, <laughs> and, and the and the, it was it was a little windy, so the the papers were blowing in the wind as the clipboard wiggled back and forth in the soft turf, and I kind of just went with it, and I was like, "See, you see," <laughs> and it was uh, in in retrospect probably not the probably I probably shouldn't have scared the children as much as I did. We really had some fun times playing together. Yeah, it was always a blast. I do remember that clipboard. I, I I will add. I don't think it was only thrown to the ground once, but uh, <laughs> it, it was it was a powerful tool. I think it snapped us in line when uh, when we weren't playing like we knew we could. And you know, it, it's it's funny how sometimes something like seeming that seemingly small can really really change a group of high schoolers' mindset and uh, flip them around, focus them up. Well, I mean, it, for for me, it was I wanted to get across to you guys that I that I loved the game of Ultimate, and that it was serious to me, and that the, I really loved the game, and I wanted you guys to love it as much as I did, and uh, to to give it uh, to give it your all. And uh, when you right. came to practices and all that, I mean, it was it was to me. I I wanted I wanted you to know we were we were going to do work because we have expectations, and like we wanted to win for for everybody to come and give me that to give me that effort. At, at that school for all those years was great and to uh to watch you uh to watch you do what you're doing now is 
is something else. When you we got the disc last year a couple times against Toronto, and I was like, look at Greg, get the disc, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is, uh, I, was, I was very proud of you, man. You know what I mean? So now I get to live vicariously through my old players. So, And you're one of them, man. It's good to see you. That's sure. Your, uh, it's good to see that you're uh, doing so well on the Phoenix. Greg, thank you for coming on the uh, Burning Bird with us this uh, for this particular episode. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope it was a good time, not very painful. <laughs> Always a blast talking to you, too. All right. For Alexander Shaggy Shragas, for Greg Moeller, I'm Steve Leinert. We'll be right back. When it comes to financing your home, you only want to work with the best. Ranked as the number one residential mortgage lender in Pennsylvania since 2016, Jeremy Durkin and his team of consultants at Trident Mortgage have been helping families with home finance for over 17 years. Visit jeremydurkin.tridentmortgage.com to get started and learn more from Jeremy and his team. Welcome back, Phoenix fans, to another segment of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I'm joined by Shaggy again. Shag, thanks for coming back. Yeah, of course. Happy to be back. We are joined by Ian Dietrich, a rookie on the Phoenix. Uh, hey, Ian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course, Steve. Now, now, Ian, we've been talking to a lot of the guys over the past couple of weeks, and you and Greg Martin put together a hellacious, uh, workout regimen for the Phoenix to do. Can you just go into detail about what that, like, how that all came about? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm a uh, certified strength conditioning specialist. I'm a strength conditioning coach. Uh, so I was talking with Hemi one of the days after practice, and he was like, yeah, I've just kind of been flying by night doing the, uh, um, just from, like, his experience. And I was like, well, dude, like, it's my job. So um, I came up with uh, a couple of home lifts. Um, everybody's been complaining about the uh, isometric holds that I've been putting them through and a couple of running workouts, some speed and agility, and then some other conditioning throughout the week. All these things guys can do during the quarantine? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for for our lifts, I had everything, like, modified down so they're doing um, – different single leg lunge variations and then the staple of it was um the isometric hold so they're like in a uh lunge position or a glute bridge position for up to five minutes at a time just holding that position and it gets real gnarly real real quick um but it's super good for keeping the legs in shape and trying to prevent injuries which is kind of the biggest thing coming out of this um the biggest ability we're trying to train right now is availability like it won't help us that much if we come back and everybody like blows up a hamstring the first practice we're back or right strains a quad or whatever <laughs> and that was another uh, key part of the program was introducing like a lot of running volume uh, because we're we're not practicing right now which is really unfortunate so we're not getting all of that like cutting sprinting things that we're normally doing um, that keep us healthy. So if, if we're not running, we're not doing stuff, then we're much more likely to get hurt right out of the gate. When you make a, a, a workout regimen like this, I mean, even for a person in shape like yourself, part of this has got to suck just a little bit, right? You know what I mean? Like, which part sucks the most for you? <laughs> 
Oh man. I mean, because some of these guys are out there going, these these guys are these guys are just soldiers. I mean, geez, they're just they're, they're drill masters, they're drill sergeants out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, I, honestly, for for me, like I enjoy all of it after I'm done. <laughs> um, so the, the thing that really does kill me is is the ISO holds like three minutes into a lunge where you're just there and you're just shaking, like your legs are shaking and everything in your brain is telling you to like, just put the knee down, just put the knee down. Nobody's around. Nobody's around. You're at home. Nobody has to know. Um, <laughs> right. And like quads are burning. Um, it's either that or anything that's shuttle related. Shuttles are the devil. That's straight up. <laughs> What do, what do you mean shuttles? So shuttles are essentially, I set up two cones, like 25 yards apart or maybe 50 yards apart, depending on what I'm doing. And I essentially am just... 50 yards? <laughs> yeah, yeah, tw- 25 or 50 yards apart. <laughs> and and I'm just running back and forth in between them, just cutting cutting back and forth, changing direction at each cone, running back as fast as I can for whatever time i'm given so in my personal training program uh i use actually a lot of uh, game point performances conditioning plan which they they they're fantastic fantastic resource for all ultimate players they work up to a 25 yard shuttle so cones 25 yards apart and a and running for six minutes oh my god to to build up aerobic (laughs) capacity and i had to do six minutes, rest two minutes, and then another six minutes. So, like, I, like, it turned into just, like, a death march, like, really, really oh, quickly on the second time. But, but the, yeah, but the stuff that I have uh, programmed for the Phoenix right now is, um, is like, 60-second shuttles with, like, two minutes rest. But those are still super bad because, like, you get into that, like, lactic acid, burny, um, feeling after about like 20 seconds and you still have most of the time to go. I mean, uh, I'm about 25 years older than you. Uh, so, um, I played ultimate at a high level once upon a, once upon a time. And I got to tell you, I mean, just the shuttles alone sound, sound horrific enough where I might've quit. <laughs> I think you would have been all right, Steve. Uh, I don't know, man. Daggy. <laughs> Shaggy would have been fine. I don't know about me, man. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, I I do it for I do it. You know what? I I do it for my teammates. But I for me, I'd be like I I'd be one of those guys that I don't know, man. I'd that'd be tough to do on my own, you know. So I I tip my cap to each and every one of you uh, players on the team that are sitting there doing these workouts every day, especially when, like you said, like when no one's looking, it is easy to just put your knee down for a second. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's that. I think that's the biggest, biggest part, and why we've been like super active and like motivating each other. And it's really nice to see, like, every single day. It's like, oh man, like, there's another picture of like one of my boys doing a workout. Like, I guess that means I got to get out and do something today. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's 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 talk about the strange and slippery slope that you got on when you first got into ultimate. I've, I've heard, I've heard quite the, the story about how you uh, ended up on your college ultimate team. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that a little bit or do you want me to tell you what I know? <laughs> um, sure. I can talk about it. Um, so not, not, not too crazy of a story, but I would say it's a more odd introduction than most 
sure. uh, kids <laughs> get uh, to playing Frisbee. I worked as a camp counselor in high school. During the summer, I was working at this day camp, and a couple of the people went to Westchester University, East Stroudsburg, and they played Ultimate. Um, I didn't know that it was a sport. I didn't know it was a thing. Um, <laughs> so they, like, taught me how to throw a little bit, and then um, and then they asked me, like, I was still camp counselor the summer before I went to Penn State before my freshman year. And they were like, hey, there's, like, this ultimate tournament. It's at Wildwood Beach. Like, we're going to be playing on the beach. You want to go? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, like, I, I guess I'm not doing anything that weekend. Going to the beach sounds nice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is, like, little innocent Ian, like, hasn't gone to college yet. No idea about the world. And... I go to Wildwood, and I had an awesome time, and I'm out there like, wait, what's a stall? Like, why, why, is, why, why is this person counting? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? And, of course, like, it's on the beach, so it's a little bit windy, and I'm like, everything's flipping over, and I'm like, how do you do this thing? And dur during the tournament, I actually ended up meeting a B-team player uh, from Penn State, and he was like, yeah, man, like, I play, you should, you should play up at Penn State. That'd be super cool. I was like, yeah, yeah, and then, like, got back in contact with him when I went up to State College and then showed up at a tryout and was like, whoa, there are, like, 200 people here. Like, what is going on? <laughs> wow, Spank had that many people to try out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it was, it, it was one of those, uh, we had that many people before they realized that frats were a thing. As soon as as soon as the rush started, let me tell you, we we had a lot less people showing up. <laughs> I got you. I so yeah, like ended up meeting all those guys, and lucky enough that um that they decided to take me as like the thirtieth man. I was like literally the last one <laughs> that didn't get cut. So and this was just five years ago, right? This wasn't like like 10 or 15 years ago this was yeah yeah the, the first time i had like heard about ultimate was like 2014 and then started playing competitively with spank in the fall of 2015 did you ever think that when you first started playing ultimate at wildwood that one day you would be <laughs> a pro no well at wildwood i had no idea that there was pro so <laughs> not, not wildwood but but certainly with like with the players, because I, I was lucky enough to play for a couple of years. Um, Mark Sands, I played with Colin Messino up there. I was, like, playing with these guys, and I was like, they're, like, like there there's no way that, like, I could ever even be, like, close to their level. Like, I was garbage my first year. Uh, I think my coach at the end of the year was like, oh, man, I'm glad you weren't a total failure. <laughs> like, like, li like, literally, like, that's another like, that's, oh, that's like, a huge compliment. That's a huge compliment. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, oh, you didn't do that bad. <laughs> I, was, I, was like, I used that coaching tactic quite a few times in my career, where I'm just into a player. I'm like, you know what? Thank you for not sucking as badly as I thought you could have sucked. 
<laughs> there, there was a crossroads, and either you could have really sucked, or you could have not sucked as bad, and you right. chose the right path. Right, <laughs> right. No kidding. Oh, that's hilarious. So you you attended your first combine for the Phoenix here this particular particular year. Um, being a, a workout guy yourself, what did you do to prepare for this particular combine? Um, apparently not enough because I pulled my hamstring pretty badly about 45 minutes into the combat. Well, that's, that's no good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but so I was, I was trying to maintain like a pretty, pretty high amount of like sprinting and stuff going, like going into it. And I was really excited for the, uh, for the 40 and for, uh, the vertical jump word a little bit, but I was, I still decided to jump jump the vert off of the non-injured leg so i took like a short short little run-up still managed like i think it was like 34 off of my dominant leg so i was i was happy with that but it was it was really really disappointing because i felt like i was i was playing well through the first little chunk and um then shout out to precision performance pt for getting me up and running for the the second tryout two weeks later where I was able to play at almost um, 90, 95% thanks to those guys. I'm glad that you uh, made it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, w- I was happy to make it back too. I was very, very unhappy. <laughs> that second tryout, uh, did you feel like a little bit of pressure to perform in that second tryout in order to make the team? Oh, definitely. Um, I was like, felt, felt a lot of pressure to at least, not make any mistakes so it was like this very like weird pressure of i normally try to win matchups with my legs and like with my physicality and like not really being able to like jump and lay out and like do all of the things that like i really pride myself on i was like oh man like i've got to be super effective so that that was that was a little bit a little bit weird for me let me tell you though i called for all kinds of switches Somebody was going going deep, and I'm like, and I see Nate make eye contact with Nate Little, like we've been teammates before, and I'm like, that's your guy. There is no way I'm catching him. <laughs> You're showing off your your strategic uh, for the yeah, dog. yeah. So so we they knew that I have the uh, tactical acumen to to hang. Hey. <laughs> When in doubt, switch the Nate Little. Yeah, tactical intelligence. That's good stuff. Yep. <laughs> switch switch off Nate Little or 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 give him to Nard. <laughs> what do you foresee about this uh, as as a rookie? What do you, what are your expectations going into this uh, AUDL season that may or may not happen? As far as expectations of season, I mean, like I'm definitely want to bring my intensity to the team um but it's really really exciting and heartening to be on a team of super gritty players and i think that we have a really good opportunity to grind it out against a lot of really good teams i mean i i honestly think that we do have a really good shot at the playoffs if we play the game the way that hampson and nate are telling us to play the game all right, and on the flip side of that, let's say, and we we talked about this uh, with a couple players previously on on uh, Burning Bird episodes. Let's say the AUDL decides to have a one weekend tournament. How do you think the Phoenix would fare in a, in a in a weekend tournament format? 
I feel like they would fare pretty well if I have anything to say about it because <laughs> the whole <laughs> strength and conditioning thing, like if as long as everybody is doing all the workouts, all the things they should should be doing, we should be pretty well prepared. Speaking for myself, I thrive on kind of the endurance aspect of like tournaments overall and like clubs that like I've I've played. I'm usually the one that's still running full speed at the end of the game or later on Sunday. So I don't think that it's ideal. I think that it would be awesome to be able to kind of like play teams in like just that one-off format. But if it, if it comes to it, I think we'll be super well prepared. Ian, I got to tell you, man, it's been a, it's been fun talking to you. I'm going to let Shaggy ask you a couple of questions in a minute, but I, I want to just point out to you that it's really refreshing to hear somebody that's as in shape as yourself say that your knee shakes too when you're doing lunges from time to time because all of us have been there. And uh, it's just it's comforting to know that, hey, even the best of us, our, our knees can shake just like theirs can. So, uh, For sure. Yeah, they, hey, Shag, what do you got, buddy? Before I ask my question, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about what you do as a strength and conditioning professional. Currently, I'm working in uh, the corporate sector. So I work for health fitness and we work with a bunch of different corporate clients to provide like personal training and like different um, exercise classes and things for them. And then on, on top of that, I just do like other programming, like virtual programming for other teams. I've like been been trying to work with like city citywide on their strength conditioning program i've been working with uh, penn state ultimate teams on their their strength conditioning programs i've been their their coach and kind of like staying staying in touch with them writing all of their workouts providing any demonstrations fielding any questions that's kind of the too long didn't read version <laughs> maybe you're not the best equipped person to answer this then but uh this is a question that i've mulled over a lot with you know, a lot of my friends, uh, and we have no basis upon which to uh, discuss this, but how close are Frisbee players, professional Frisbee players, to professional athletes in other sports in terms of, like, an athletic specimen, and could they really transition to, to Frisbee, or would it be, is it harder than uh, I always seem to think it is? So I'll talk about the transition first. Um, the the transition, I think, is harder than most people think. Um, because it's just a different like mindset tactically so like if you have like a like a football athlete coming and trying to play frisbee it's more free-flowing and a lot of the tactics don't transfer and like the spaces that you're looking for and like the way you defend like there's just a lot of experience that you need in that department so like soccer athletes transfer really well because they can kind of see the same spaces and like understand how passing and like crossing and like every everything like that feeds into how ultimate works and as far as like the athleticism versus versus other sports i would say that ultimate players at the highest level like so the adl are very athletic but the like nfl or other like football type athletes they're just as athletic but add like a hundred pounds to all of them. So like, so like they're more athletic relative to their like body weight, but sure. like an ultimate, like, but like an ultimate athlete might be able to do like the same, like the same stuff for like similar times, 
but yeah. <laughs> so Steve and I had exactly this argument, but I believe that if you gave me seven copies of Ben Simmons, uh, well, really six copies of Ben Simmons and myself, but you don't need to know how good I am every year. Okay. But I, could, I could coach that team of seven Ben Simmonses into an AUDL championship team. Like, like it would not take me very long. I think I could do it within five or six months. Obviously, we'd spend a month just teaching teaching the Ben Simmons how to throw. But wait, how, how close am I on that? Ooh. Um, not, he's not close, and you can tell him that. He's not even no, close no, at all. No, no way. It's not, not happening. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> but, 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 I, I, I raise you. I, I think somebody like, uh, like a LeBron, like somebody that's like going to be like a like a multi-sport athlete. Like LeBron also played like tight end and stuff in high school. Ben Simmons played like, Australian football. It's like the same. Yeah. No, it's not <laughs> yeah. the same. It's not the same at all. <laughs> how, about if, how about if we play Austin uh, and I'm allowed to hit you? But but I Shaggy, I will give you that basketball like the the strategy is exactly the same as handler motion. Like almost all of handler motion is pulled from like basketball like movement. Mm. So I, I I think that you're definitely onto something. I, I give you I give you two years. The coach yeah. that Ben Simmons is into a championship contender. All yeah. right, I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm thinking they need one season to just get completely, like, roasted, and then, like, they'll figure it out, and then they're like, all right, this is how we win. And second Shaggy, season, they do. Shaggy cannot afford seven Ben Simmonses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. Roll an ADL team for a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Ben – we can get Ben Simmons to come come right over to the Phoenix. We'll we'll we're all from a contract right now. He'll he'll take that over his Sixers contract. I'm sure. Well, <laughs> in a normal year, they don't really conflict. <laughs> that that's true. That's true. It's it's off season training. Yeah. <laughs> then we would have to have an entire podcast on why Ben Simmons doesn't hawk the disc, just like we have an entire podcast about why Ben Simmons doesn't shoot a three. Okay. So I don't want to sit there and have a podcast about Ben Simmons hucking the disc because he's no way to get It's an assist. It's the favorite part of the game is assist. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Chad, yeah, Chad. I, I, change, I change my answer. It's going to have to be five. It's going to have to be five Ben's and two Steph's. Thank you. Oh, just to have someone contribute <laughs> uh, to, to throw the long ball. Yeah, yeah, because, because like, Steph's already pulling up half court. Like, he'll be in his own end zone. Like, Drop a dime. Steph's small on the court, but he's 6'3". Like, he'd be a huge Grizzly player. Yeah. Wow, like upper end. <laughs> anybody on the field. <laughs> in order for Ben Simmons to score an AEDL, you have to put a circle in the end zone. <laughs> no, I'll just tell him that the threes are something else. I'll tell him, like, threes are Callahan. He'll have one a season. It'll be perfect. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, you you would you would hope, but that, I don't I don't think so. Boy, he's already made two this year, and the the season's not even over. Maybe. Oh, the, yeah, the season's not even over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ian, what do you think? I'm putting you on the spot right here. The AEDL play this year, yes or no? Uh, yes, but extremely compact. 
Well, I'll take compact because uh, I'd rather have any kind of season than what we have right now. That yeah, that's completely fair. Like going going stir crazy right now, not being able to play any sports and see any of my friends. It's not cool. No. Have you been able to participate in any of Mike Arcada's internet or Instagram challenges that him and James Pollard have been going back and forth with? <laughs> yeah, I, I I did the uh the toss up push up challenge. Um only only managed five push ups on on that and you should have seen the number of outtakes it took because i had to throw it a very specific direction in my yard to not hit the trees and also not throw it out into the horse field next to my house right so it was like it was like all right like let's see whether i can get it at this exact 37 degree angle and get it to float on the wind just enough and i hit my the side of my house a couple of times um hit the trees a couple of times, chased it in the woods once or twice. And then I got six push-ups and then stone cold dropped it. And then we got five. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done on five. That's five more. Than I <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on gents. No, no, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Chad, thanks for uh, hanging in there with us. We, uh, I, I appreciate that for sure. For Ian Dietrich and Alexander Shaggy Stragus, I'm Steve Leiner. We'll be right back. Are you ready to get outside this summer? Then you're going to need some protection. And Coats Mineral Sunscreen is a simple, reef-friendly, preservative-free sunscreen made right here in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Visit cotzskincare.com to get your supply of Coats Sunscreen today. Welcome back to another segment of the Burning Bird Phoenix fans. I'm Steve Leinert. I'm joined again by Shaggy. And in this segment, I'm joined by offensive cutter from the Phoenix, Dustin Damiano. Dustin, thank you for coming on. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you. Dustin, you, you are, you've been roommates with Coach Dave Hampton for quite a few years now. Is yeah. That yeah, it's been a while. I think uh, eight years almost, something like that. Eight years. Uh, what is it like living with your head coach? <laughs> it's different. Um, when it first, like, uh, what, two years ago when I first tried out for the Phoenix, uh, it seemed like every other day there was a joke about how he was going to cut me from the team. Uh, <laughs> I, remember, I remember showing up to tryouts and he said, I don't know why they're putting the cleats on at all. <laughs> it's a foregone conclusion. <laughs> until, uh, you, yeah, but... until you do your dishes, you're not making this team. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's been fun, and uh, you know, like we always joke about it every chance we get. But uh, lately, it's more uh, he'll be in his room and storm out, excited about some new strategy or some play, and come out and say, "Oh, you got to hear about this. Wait, wait, let's talk about this." I'm like, "Okay, cool. Let's let's talk about the team." But uh, uh, jokes about whether I'm on it or not are slowly fading. <laughs> well, oh, I mean, uh, speaking of like relationships, not just with uh, Coach Dave Hampson. But other players on the team, you you've grown a, close to a lot of guys on the team over the years, haven't you? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I consider a lot of them great friends. Who are some of your better friends on the team? Uh, definitely uh, Matt Esser and uh, Himalaya. Um, they usually whenever I have like uh, gatherings or parties, they always try to come. Uh, Matt Esser, I just uh, they I guess you know they went on that um, trip across Europe and Asia last year. Yeah, I joined, I joined them for the first month of it, 
which is a blast. It was a great time. Did you manage to get to Europe and Asia in the one month, or did you have to pick a country? Oh, uh, no, no. I, I just went from uh, all through Europe. I, I was there from France to Austria. So oh, Very cool. But I, I was there where their their van that was supposed to make it the whole trip actually broke down. So I was there for some exciting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where did they break down, and, and what did you guys do to pass the time? So that was on the Autobahn uh, in Germany. I think they were uh, trying to push it a little too hard, and it, it couldn't handle it. Uh, what happened was the day that it actually broke down, I actually separated it to go see some friends in Germany, which was kind of funny because then they were stranded kind of like on the side of the road. There was uh, no uh, no hotels by. They were just like sitting at a lot or whatever, and they called me because I was supposed to meet up with them that day again, but then they broke down. Uh, luckily, my friends were able to pick them up. Uh, they had We had a place to stay for a night while we sorted out new things. Then we, we took planes after that. They kind of, like, departed. I think they, I think one of the brothers went to Barcelona, and I don't know. They, they went on a different route. They went on a whole other mess trying to get a new car in Malta, I think. It was a whole other adventure. I've I've been on a uh, an, on a overseas trip with uh, Sam Esser, and okay. um, uh, th- those Esser guys once they get traveling, man, they want to keep traveling. I'm telling oh, yeah, you, yeah. they they uh, they they like to keep moving. I'm telling you. A, a common phrase on the trip was the difference between an ordeal and adventure is attitude. Oh, yeah, they are, they are a lot of fun, the Essers, and we're gonna have Matt on and a burning bird sometime in the very near future, I'm sure. But uh, during your trip, Dustin, you it was during the AUDL season. How tough uh, is it yeah. how tough how tough was it for you to leave the team and how were you able to keep up with how the Phoenix were doing while you were on your trip? Yeah, I mean that was definitely frustrating because there were some close games while we were gone. Um it was bittersweet because uh it's been, always been a dream of mine to go play at Windmill Windup and that overlap so it was cool getting to play at a big tournament like that but i remember um at one point i was in england on the trip and we were watching the phoenix game trying to keep up see how everything was going but um at the end of the trip was cool because instead of flying home to the states i went to canada the night before we had a game in toronto so it was like a cool end of the trip to just meet up with the team there and that was a great game that was a huge win it was a it was a blast what was it like to uh come like you mean being a tad jet lagged, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, how was it to go out there and perform in a, in a big game? I mean, like let's and let's be honest, to get to get a win in Toronto is not the easiest thing you're going to do in the AUDL. Oh right, right, yeah, it was a huge win. It was a it was a great time. I remember at the um, I don't know first or second point, I had a nice assist, and right away I turned to Hampson. I was like, hey, I think I need to go on vacation a little bit more often in the season. Things are working. <laughs> well, the. Uh, you you came back a totally different person, not just uh, on the inside, but I think oh. on the outside too. I mean, uh, you had, you dyed your you dyed your black hair completely blonde. You had us you had me fooled in the booth. I'll tell you when I was calling the game, I thought you were Austin, I thought you were Austin Lillis for for a minute or two. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, what what sparked the change in hair color? Yeah, that was that was funny because it was for a while that people could not recognize me, which is usually good for me because a lot of times I get confused with other players on the field. I, I remember getting mixed up with uh, Kevin Chang, playing with him before, and uh, um, Nick Patel. I feel like I always get mixed up with somebody. Um, the hair thing had nothing to do with Europe, actually. Uh, I, every year for Wildwood, my team always does a theme for, you know, we always dress up as characters. I don't know how it started, but it's turned out to be a lot of fun. 
And this year we were Pokemon trainers, and I was Professor Oak. And since my hair is so dark, I had to bleach it blonde in order to turn it gray. <laughs> and, and this, you know, this was a, a good month or so ahead of time. I had to like, it's funny how much effort and planning go in just so we can dress like dumb characters at Wildwood. You know what? <laughs> I mean, for our, for our listeners here for this particular episode, this is the second mention of Wildwood and how crazy it gets. And let me <laughs> tell you something: the stories are entirely true. All yeah, of them. I'm telling you. If you if you've never been down to the Wildwood Ultimate Beach Tournament you, and and they have it this year, it's the last weekend in July, and <laughs> you really should think about going. You know, I mean, it's really a lot of fun. It's 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 really a spectacle to behold. Uh, from the from the boardwalk, watching all the hundreds of ultimate teams playing on the miles of beach down in Wildwood. That's a good uh, ad for Wildwood. No, that is a good <laughs> ad for Wildwood. I mean, I, I enjoy Wildwood, and, and hey, as a, as a volunteer down there, you'll be sure to run into me at some juncture in the Bolero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Dustin, yeah. you wear you wear number zero on your jersey. Um, is, is that because you are fond of, of being an offensive handler or because your last name ends in Damiano? Uh, neither. It actually is because Greg Martin stole my number. My number is four, and it's been a, a battle ever since. <laughs> uh, how, did you, how did you lose the battle? Yeah. So I went well, back when Greg and I put stuff together. I was already five, four there. And then after that, I took one year off where he played Phoenix for one year before me, and he got four. Uh, my biggest regret. <laughs> but, yeah, zero is uh, is my alternative. Now, this is the only time I've ever done zero, actually. All right. And, uh, like, let's talk about the your, – your, you, you are a two-time professional ultimate champion, uh, like like Matt Glazer. Uh, yep. we, interview, we interviewed Matt Glazer earlier this, uh, earlier this um, uh, month on the burning burn and we were able to delve into a little bit of uh old spinners and the AUDL action. Can you talk about the uh what what the difference was for you from the first combine with the spinners to the uh last combine you were at with the Phoenix? Okay. Um yeah, I mean I'll never forget that first trial. So I remember uh going there not at all expecting to make the team. My my goal was if I just sky one good player, when they become pro I'll be like, I got that guy. Or, you know, do, do anything good like that. Um, the weather was awful. Uh, it was so cold and windy. I remember doing drills where we had to, like, huck it, and I wanted to look at my throw to see if it actually worked. And they're yelling at me to continue the drill, do the next cut. I'm like, how do I know if these throws are working? This is you know, pretty rough weather. Um, I remember you there, actually, Liner. I remember you running a drill. I, I was there to help out to uh, help pick the uh, first uh, players that were on the spinners. That's, that's okay. true. Yeah, I think that was the first time I met you. Um, yeah, I, I believe so. Yes, I, I think it was the first time I met you as well. Uh, you were yeah. you were impressive. You were you were an impressive player, man. You know what I mean? You were just Thank you me. were very young. Thank you. I, yeah, it's uh, very different now. <laughs> no, no, it is. Glazer Glaze and I, uh, old guys from the from the beginning. Yeah, now you guys are what one of three players on the team in your thirties. Oh, really? What is it? Uh, me, Glazer, and um, Esser. Yes, those those are the three. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Did we just make you feel old? <laughs> uh, the only reason why I'm still in the game is I've been I've been transitioning to Hamler. I guess that's the only way I can I can keep up now. <laughs> so you 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 went in a 
AUDL championship under Daryl Stanley in the MLU. I'm sorry, in the MLU, an MLU championship under Daryl Stanley. Correct. And you win an AUDL championship under Jeff Snader. What are, what's the two differences between those two coaches and your current coach, Dave Hampson? <laughs> uh, Jeff Snader was scary. Uh, if you were if you were on time, you were still worried you were going to be in trouble. You had to get to stuff early. Um, Daryl was fun. Daryl, uh, that was I didn't really know Daryl too well before that. Um, like we had some interactions through frisbee stuff, um, but that was a you know getting to know him as a person, which was it was a good time, and he's a good coach. Uh, but uh, Hampson, you know that's a struggle every day. I, I wake up, I see this guy, I got to go to go to all these events. We gotta run uh, uh, footage meetings online, and I'm sitting here with him, watching, talking to the team. It's everywhere. He's, he's all in my life. I mean, he's he's on top of you, making sure you're doing all the workouts and everything. I mean, the guys, he, the guys, relentless. He, he just walked in just the other day. He walked in, in the garage, and I just like I don't know, I did a bunch of sit ups. So I was like laying down, taking a breath, and he came in. And he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm working out. And he's like, what are you working out specifically? I was like, oh, coach, come on, man. I'm I'm doing stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, one of the the things I wanted to ask you personally was, uh, so you you were one of the first people to go from the spinners to the Phoenix once the spinners were done. What led to that decision? And, like, do you, uh, I guess, regret, like, not that the, the spinners not continuing on? Um, so I did, I took one year off. I remember that after the, the MLU folded all, I took one oh, okay. year break. Um, but yeah, I, cause I think, uh, the first year right after, I think it was Greg Martin and Esser. And then the next year is me and maybe, maybe two others. And then it kept coming. I, I, I feel like a, a lot of people on the team just needed a little break, uh, just because it, it's a lot. This season is a blast and we love it, but you know, it, it can be a little, demanding there's a lot it's if you're doing the club season as well you're starting AUDL a lot earlier this season and then that finishes and you go into club so I think uh some people were ready to take the break after one year I was that was too much for me I was ready to get back it was it's so much fun and uh to play at this high level and uh it's a great a great time great group of guys so I was uh I was eager to get back in Hey, even though it wasn't in front of very many fans and it had to feel very cavernous in this particular place, but what was it like to play in that first AUDL championship in the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit? What was it like on that bus ride back and forth? And 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 just talk about those early days in the AUDL where you were, were taking those bus rides and you were playing in such iconic places like the Pontiac Silverdome. So yeah, I'll never forget the the 2012, you know, championship game at the, at the Silverdome. It was a blast, you know, playing in that setting. Um, afterwards, the celebration was great. The ride back was hilarious. You know, a lot of players, a few players, got a little too drunk on the ride back, but it was it was a good time. Um, there was someone that actually, I think, passed out a little early, so we all autographed his body while he was sleeping. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean. Those are the best, like coming home on a big win. When we won in Toronto this past season, that ride back was so much fun. We're all like singing songs and having a good time. Uh, it's, you know, the the rides can get a little long depending on where you're going, but a lot of them, especially after a win, you're, uh, you're excited, you know, with the team crammed in a, in a van riding back. 
I mean, did you ever think about the locker room that you were in in the in the Silver Dome and the, the type Silver of players? Oh yeah, we we destroyed that locker room. We uh, my parents actually. <laughs> did you know about this? Is this what you're bringing this up for? <laughs> no, no, no. I was talking about the type of the the, the historic athletes that wa- wandered those halls before you guys did. Oh. I wasn't talking about you guys trashing the locker room. But now, now I'm more interested in hearing the story about you guys trashing the locker room. Do tell. Oh my them. gosh. Yeah, my uh, my parents uh, drove down too to come to the game. And uh, as a gift, they got us a bunch of champagne bottles. So it felt like, you know, any other sports team winning. We were in the locker room just spraying each other with champagne everywhere. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. power. Those are things like squirt guns. They were really oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it was like a year or two later they tore down the stadium, too. So I don't yeah. think they were too upset that we uh, got a little champagne. No, the, the Lions never celebrated there, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you were on ESPN's top ten uh, one time there as well. Uh, you were on a on a play for the Spinners where uh, you were you had a, uh, a, a you were a, a, a dubious member of a a top ten play. You want to talk about that? Ah, uh, yeah, it's my uh, notorious play. Uh, it's a couple years, 2016 uh, Spinners game. Uh, buzzer throw by Billy Sickles uh, starts to go out of bounds and. Uh, Nick Heronat, greatest is it back in. It's going to the end zone. I'm in perfect position. And a Boston defender tips it just a little bit. So I try and slide and even it bounces clean off my chest. <laughs> Goes flying. I am, like, freaking out. Get up and start running. Himalaya, like, saved the day. Came in and towed it in the back of the end zone. I joke around that it is, uh, like, one of the most famous drops in Ultimate next to David Hampson's drop, if you've seen that one. I, I haven't seen that one, but I want to. I want to say that yours wasn't a drop. I'm going to. I'm going to bail you out here, okay? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Play. I think. I think you maxed it into the air and allowed Himalaya to make a layout grab in the back of the end zone. So that that wouldn't have been possible had you not batted it up into the air the way you did. And I thought it was a masterful stroke of genius on your part to just smack <laughs> that disc into the end zone. I mean, I thought doing that intentionally was genius. It was it was a running joke then that um, people would talk to Luke Ryan at the time, who's the stats guy for the MLU, and people would talk about, yo, Luke, you get Dustin that uh, assist for that point? <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. After it happened to the, so many people on the team, Glazer even, I think it was specifically Glazer that came up to me and said, yo, why didn't you just catch it? I'm like, <laughs> okay, come on. I was like, you know, if I just caught it, we would have been, you know, a fun little play. But now that this happened, we're going to be ESPN Sports Center, top ten. And we got yeah. we got it. You did. You guys. You guys were. That was number one for 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 that particular week. I thought it was awesome to see. I love this about you. That I don't know who came up with this stat or not, but uh, and I'm going to say this guy's name wrong for sure. But your favorite, your uh, favorite player in the uh, in 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 Oakland was the first player ever to commit a foul in the AUDL. Alex Alex Bargany. What is it? Just because he he committed the first foul in the eighties, or like, is there, is there a backstory to that as well? Yeah, yeah, that's an old buddy of mine. We uh both went to college together, and uh, 2012, it was like big talk. ADL was starting, and we were talking, oh, we're gonna sign up for the team. And I remember we were having a conversation like, this is the beginning of history. Anything that happens is the first. It's gonna be the first sky in ADL history. The first, you know, huck. And he was like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna get the first layout D. Well, he got too aggressive, and he laid out it right into the guy. It was uh, 
yeah, it was uh, Rhode Island versus uh, Connecticut Constitution. And uh, there's a really funny, or in my opinion, a funny video of when he's doing it because his, like, face of shock and panic of when they called the foul on him. He's like, I didn't get the first three. But then it's like a realization, oh, I got the first foul. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that year was a lot of fun. We we built it up like we were a big, big rivalry in sports. You know, uh, we made fake uh, – commercial videos like the Larry Bird Magic Johnson talking that we're the biggest biggest rivalry in, in uh, Ultimate and we were both D-line cutters so we never covered each other once uh, that's, <laughs> that is incredible man that is incredible alright hey Shag what do you got buddy uh, I have a lot of things I did some deep dives on Dustin on the internet oh, in preparation for this so did you get your start in Ultimate playing at summer camp against the counselors yes yeah um, Camp Arrowhead I uh uh, yeah, a lot of the counselors are college kids, so they brought ultimate there. Now, mind you, it wasn't at all real ultimate, you know, endless end zones, you know, 15 against 15, and you could, like, foul each other, hit the disc out of each other's hands. It, uh, I started as a camper, and then when I became a staff member, we would play just staff members, and then that turned into street ultimate. People would leave games with bloody eyes, or black eyes, and, <laughs> you know, all beat up and bruised. Uh, but yeah, very different. I remember leaving that thinking, oh, I know everything there is to know about Ultimate. And then I went to college and I was like, I know nothing. This is crazy. That's sweet. I, I also got my start in Ultimate playing at summer camp. Uh, we had a rival camp. And at the end of the summer, you know, we played that rival camp in a big That's sports competition. Awesome. One of them was Ultimate Frisbee. Uh, so I started playing in whenever I went there. But every That's, awesome. sec- That's the dream. Have a <laughs> yeah. end, of, end of the summer battle against another summer camp. That's great. Yeah, we build it up. You know, you know all the history, but it's only one game. The kids get really invested in it. Uh, and then every Saturday we play the staff. So the, the varsity okay. team would play the staff team. Okay. Um, and then I'm proud to say as a staff member, I, I never lost to those campers. That that. Big, uh, <laughs> there you go, Shag, undefeated. Uh, speaking of camp, the other thing that I found um, when I was researching you is uh, Camp Dustin's Friends. I watched the promo video. Uh-huh. Dustin's friends, and I just—it looked like so much fun. How did you uh, manage to put that together? How'd you get your hands on this promo video? I didn't know it was uh, released in mainstream yet. <laughs> um, Camp Dustin's friends is a new thing. I just started. This is so stupid. I—it's uh, <laughs> the same camp that I went to as a kid and, and worked as a staff member, and uh, I just decided, you know, how cool would that be if. All my, I just took all my friends to go to this camp for the weekend. And I'm still in touch with the camp. I go there pretty often and was talking to them like, hey, how, how much does it cost to rent it out? Yada, yada, what's the deal? And uh, we gave it a try. And this past year we had uh, like took 40 people. And the whole thing, I, I'm sure at your camp you had something like a Color Wars, Competition Central, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what it was. We split up into four teams and everything was a competition. Racing up the rock wall, uh fire building competition, you know, volleyball we played. Uh, the only ultimate thing we did was goaltimate, but we also did, there, on the rock wall was a zip line, and it was bonus points if while they were going down the zip line, you could throw the disc to them and have them catch it. So the, the I guess you saw in the video, there's like 50 frisbees flying in the air and a guy zip lining trying to catch them all. It's, it's hilarious. But yeah, it's all like just like whatever game we can make competitive. Uh, there's a bunch of Phoenix people there. Uh, Matt Esser, Himalaya, Ethan Fortin, uh, Colin Messino. So it was a good time. And that was a test run, so I'm hoping to expand it. So we'll see if uh, how many uh, how many people this camp can take. 
<laughs> Camp Dustin's for, I mean, it's you've hit on a gold mine, I think, in the adult <laughs> camping industry. I, I don't know. I don't know. Dustin Shaggy's angling for an invite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you already got the promo video. You're pretty, pretty much in. You know. You know. Oh yes. <laughs> Perfect. So, who? Which team won the competition? Uh, that would be blue team won this year. It was so that was Matt Esser's team. Um, there's a little bit of argument behind it because some people feel that the last event should be the deciding factor, which was fire building, which mm-hmm. my team won hands down and. Esser's pretty bitter about it, I will say. He had to leave early. So uh, my, our what it is is you build a fire and burn through a rope. Our rope was clean, like completely burned through, and his fire, his team's fire wasn't even started yet. So understandably so, he's a little, a little bitter about that. Sure. Even in victory, he's bitter. I mean, he's a pretty competitive guy. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, his team won it this year. So. Did you give him any crap about his layout at the link? Because you weren't really supposed to play defense, and there he is getting a layout D at the link. <laughs> we knew it was coming. It, it, it needed to happen. The fans loved it. Yeah, that's true. The fans did go nuts. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all the fans were cheering and going crazy, and all of us on the sideline were like, gratuitous. Can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Even those of us that watched the video were like, oh, come on, Matt. <laughs> that's right we're we'll talk about that on a future episode of the burning bird for sure i have one last thing so dustin in the uh spirit of the phoenix questionnaire you said that arnold schwarzenegger was your favorite athlete and i, I just i mean now he's you know he's a little past his prime but i was wondering back in the day you know in his heyday how do you think he would have fared on the ultimate field oh man i i, I hate to bring Esther back into this but that's a very common uh, comparison I, or an accurate comparison that, you know, he would just body anyone up to go for anything. Brothers could do some work also, like Esser, but he would be a great receiver, I'd feel. Wow. That would have been something to see. <laughs> he'd scare the scared bejesus out of people. <laughs> I'm not covering that guy. Look at him. He was like, you know, he'll run me over. Thank you for joining us here, Dustin. We really appreciate you coming on, telling your stories. Hey, glad to be here. It was a good time. For Alexander Shaggy Shragans, for Dustin Damiano, I'm Steve Leinert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Burning Bird.